This episode of That Does It, Madam, is brought to you by Mrs. Slocum's Homestyle Indian Chicken Korma. Available today in the canteen next to soft furnishings. Best curry this side of Wolverhampton. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free! Hey, I'm Jeff. And I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Suit Madam. A podcast about are you being served? Woo! Hello, unanimous. Hello, unanimous. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing on this uh, chilly evening? Ah, uh, good. Hey, uh, we're all kind of thawing out. Yep. And uh, we have another season seven fantastic episode to talk about. This is another fan favorite, absolutely. Uh, and you're right, Mr. Brandon. We, indeed, we are thawing out. Indeed, indeed, we are. <laughs> Uh, as are right, our Jeff? friends, as are our friends in Texas. <laughs> yeah, um, we got some great voicemails from our Houston correspondent Kim, who uh, got her power back on, and she's thawing out. Way to go, um, Kim! And she let us know a couple of things. So we had some. Our, our timing was pretty fortuitous with uh, the last episode when we were talking about the lucky. wardrobe, <laughs> the wardrobe malfunction, uh, because Justin Timberlake has uh, recently come out uh, and apologized. Uh, to what he's done to Janet Jackson and Britney Spears over the years in terms of letting them take the fall and be silent oh, about um, all of that. I mean, honestly, it's it's all for press, right? Because he's in that new uh, streaming movie called Parker where yeah. he befriends yeah. like a, a, um, a, a gender nonconforming child. And so he's kind of poised himself as an LGBTQ plus ally and I know a lot of people in the community are like, bitch, where? Because <laughs> <laughs> he has not been very, you know, Lance Bass might say he's an ally, but that's just because they're friends. I mean, and he's uh, also like no. in the community, Lance Bass. I mean, hell, it, Justin right. Timberlake even reached out to the podcast and wanted to come because we're apparently an, uh, the leaders. We're leaders in the LGBT community. <laughs> apparently the Are Being Served podcast. Um, but we politely declined because he didn't, he couldn't even name one of the characters. So we said, that's the lowest bar you have to cross to be on the podcast. So. Just name one character. He was like, he said Snuffleupagus and we said, sorry, <laughs> get this man out of here. Although he that's... is from Memphis. So that's kind of cool. That's very close to our northern Mississippi compound. But we rejected him. So. Um, she also let us know that one of the other benefits about using blotter paper is for right-handed people, a ballpoint works better if you've got something underneath it because right-handers pull the pen when they're writing, but left-handers push the pen. So actually blotter paper makes it worse and more difficult because there's more resistance. Uh, 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 Mr. Brandon is befuddled. I've lost him. I, I don't know what's going on. Any, what? This is the first time I think he's been speechless in the entire podcast. Which is unusual for me, isn't it, Mr. Brandon? <laughs> it is indeed, Mr. Brandon, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I don't think left-handed people actually exist. I think that's just like a, <gasps> an urban myth. That's Ms. my Kim theory. Miss Kim is left-handed. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. Sorry, Kim. Anyhow, um, no, they, they actually exist. I'll have like all these left-handers like t- tweeting and like, Brandon's racist against left-hander people. <laughs> 
Or am, or am I, is that handest? Am I handest? Handest. I, oh, I'm sorry, handest, people. Yeah. I take it yeah. back. I take it back. So, yeah, thanks for the voicemail, Kim. Yeah, we also got a great email from superfan Jeff Y., who explained the Mr. Bancroft joke to us. Ooh. So, in the last episode, Mrs. Slocum Senior Person, uh, Mr. Harmon is showing her around and says that she can get the key to the executive car Z yes. from Mr. Bancroft in the theater department. And we were kind of a little befuddled by that. The joke is that he has the tickets to the best seats of the house. There's the joke with the executive car Z. Uh, yeah. Okay. I know. All right. It made it made perfect sense to me as soon as he explained it, but I mean it, it's it's a jump to get there, but I mean I'll buy it for a dollar. <laughs> yeah, 75 cents maybe. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then we also got a great email from uh, a new fan Jim who spent some time in New Zealand and his friends there see that show as very lowbrow and body. How dare Almost... you? How dare them? How dare they? <laughs> Almost like how um he likened it to married with children. You know, I honestly can see that a little bit, um, especially lowbrow for the time, too. Of course, we talk a lot Absolutely. about how, you know, yeah. mores and stuff have, have gone kind of evolved. Yeah, I think that's uh, an apt uh, analogy. And uh, thanks for the email. Um, yeah. We've been hearing a lot of great stuff. So if you want to send us an email, um, what is the email address again, Mr. Jeff? So our fans can reach us at that does suit madam with an E at gmail.com. We'd also like to thank our new Facebook fans, Lily, Carl, Derek, Barbie, Sue, Eddie, and Ben. You've all done very well. Yes. Um, and please take this reminder to always, always, uh, when you go outside, wear a mask and wash your hands. And of course, Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter. Matter. Yes, indeed. So, Mr. Jeff, why the hell, why the he- bloomin' onion, bloomin' onion, why the bloomin' hell, that, now I'm hungry, why in hell... Are we listening to a, creating a podcast, which the nice people are listening to, about a show from 45 years ago in the UK? What's it, what are we doing here? Well, tonight we're going to talk about Series 7, Episode 6, Anything You Can Do, which originally premiered on November 23rd, 1979. Mm-hmm. And that week in the news... Now, hold on. Before you, before you tell us the torrent of bad news from that week, <laughs> when this episode originally aired, we said last time... That you have to at least give us one positive thing. Because I think you said, this week in the news, people died, people were murdered, (laughs) people tripped and stubbed their toe. And then we had a poll and we decided you have to say something nice. So is there something nice that happened the original week that this episode aired? I've got two good things that happened this week. Oh, good. So uh, that week was the United States' first artificial blood transfusion that was occurring at the University of Minnesota Hospital. A little bit yucky, but good for the person. Good, good. And the International Olympic Committee voted to readmit the People's Republic of China after 21 years. Okay. Bad for American gymnasts, but hey, you know, <laughs> and, and every, every other country's gymnasts, I guess. Okay, well, that's cool. So it was a good week. Well, there were other bad things happening, but we're not going to talk about them. <laughs> Positive thinking. So open the stage, Mr. Jeff. What happens when the, when the uh, Are You Being Served logo appears and disappears? So very unusual for us. We actually start in the canteen. You know, we're not starting on the floor. And there's actually very little that takes place on the floor um, at all uh, this week. Um, and the staff are waiting for their food in the canteen. 
uh, because the store is trying out a new waitress service because they complained about having to queue up in the line. Mm. Meanwhile, they've spent half their lunch break just waiting to be served, and they've only got 30 minutes left, right? And so this is the scene where we get the famous debate between um, dinner and lunch versus dinner and supper. Love it. Captain Peacock says, only the working class have dinner and supper. Professional people like ourselves have lunch and dinner. To which Miss Browns reports, uh, retorts, I'm not working class. I live in a detached house. And this is where I thought they were going to say the joke. That's because they tore down all the other houses on either side. No, no, that's an old one. Which that's is such a funny, like, it's a very British joke. Like, the Americans, like, when I was a kid, I did not know what that meant. Right? right. But if someone had a detached house... That was attached, but they tore them down on either side. What does that mean? Well, it means that there was gentrification. Well, it was pri- prior to gentrification, right? They were demolishing all of these abandoned row homes. Um, except for one. <laughs> except for the one. Exactly. That's standing by itself. And because this will be, maybe maybe people haven't heard our other episodes. Because I think this episode is what, episode 46? 45? Some, something like that. We're getting on up there like uh, the Jeffersons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's another show. That's another podcast. Um, that does suit Wheezy? Yeah, oh, that's that's a fabulous title. Um, could you explain in your Mr. Jeffrey kind of professoral way, detached, semi-detached, all that stuff? Because we Americans have no freaking idea what that means. Right. So a detached house is a freestanding house where you do not share an exterior wall with a neighbor. So it's like a house from Monopoly. There's the little garden on all around. It's it's not connected to anything else. Right. Whereas a semi-detached a semi-detached house is one house that's split down the middle and you're just completely separate. You don't sh- you just share that interior wall. Mm-hmm. You don't share any rooms, you don't share anything in the basement. They're c- two completely detached ha- uh 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 Separate units, but they have an interior wall. And, and that's a lot of a semi-detached. House. Yeah, and a lot of like in the eighteen hundreds, even a lot of the uh, homes that were built new were built with that purpose in mind. You know, yep. so like the idea in England and the UK, I'd say in general, um, to have a single family house—that's what we say in the US, a single family house, like a detached house—that uh, kind of means you're like way up in the world. You know, like yeah. to have, especially in the cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, to have a single family home, a, dis- a detached house, it means you've got some cash. Um, but it's kind of like for us in the states, it's a hard idea to think that a home would be built so that it would be essentially two un- two dwellings for two separate families or two people. Um, you know, the older homes can be like retrofitted, like Victorian stuff from the 1800s in the States. You, a lot of times you'll see them like, or even like in San Francisco, like one floor will become an apartment. But other than that, you don't really see that in the States. So like this joke well, I was disagree- kind of... I, I disagree. I mean, they are very common in New York City. I mean, my when I was growing up, my aunt lived in a semi-detached house for many years, um, and mm, okay. it's when That's you start true. to get, when you start to get into, um, more residential neighborhoods of New York city that aren't as commercial, you'll see a lot of freestanding houses and semi-detached houses as well as row homes. Yeah, as opposed to like apartment buildings. Yeah, so so that's you just mentioned the next classification. So what is a um, a row like a row home or um, 
Could you explain that? Because when I was a kid, I didn't know what the hell that was. <laughs> right. So, so a, a row home, which is what they're called in Philadelphia and Baltimore. I forget what they're actually called in... Oh, they're called a, a terrace house in London. It's where um, you have buildings that are right next to each other. So you share two sets of exterior walls with your neighbors. So there's no space in between the buildings. So like Sesame Street, like when I'm, of course, I'm thinking like the set of Sesame Street, those are all row homes because they're all literally touching each other. I'm trying to think of like a non-New York, well, but I that's, mean, of course. I mean, Sesame Street, the only thing I could think of is the apartment building there, right? I guess if you pan over to like where Mr. Hooper's store was. <laughs> I love um, that you know there, exactly. <laughs> there, there, were, there were apartments above, above that. I'm trying to think of a popular TV show that shows... Or like Sex and the City. Um, row like homes. brownstones, like those that, are... That's, that's true, technically, yeah. If you think about those, they're, they're, brownstone apart, they're brownstones that are just butted up next to each other. That's yeah. true. And it's interesting, like the whole, um, without going on into a tangent, which I am known to do, unanimous, um, mm-hmm. there is rather a, um, a stigma of people who live in row homes. In the UK, because it's like the lowest level of a of a of a tiered system, of course. Well, it's not the lowest. I mean, you've got council estates are really a lo- like. No, no, that's true. No, that's true. Considered low that, but yeah, but that's why you know there's this whole joke with a scene about how Captain Peacock um, lives in a semi-detached, right? And he's right. very like, I don't live in a row home or whatever they would say i live in a semi-detached because i'm getting closer to that goal of the right. of the uh, the single single house so it's just so right. snobby is really what it, what it is Me- meanwhile miss brahms who lives out in docklands has a detached house and so i'm sure that angered him to no end <laughs> that yeah so let's talk about this dinner supper lunch kerfuffle that goes on right so what's mm. the big deal about about that um so Originally, um, you know, uh, up until the Industrial Revolution, the main meal used to be eaten at noontime in most cultures around the world. Okay. Um, People would take a break from farming or doing whatever kind of um, work they did and take a long break and have their big meal in order to sustain them through the second half of their work day. And it's like that in Brazil. Um, And I'm sure there's there are other places where that's like lunch is the big thing. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, if you think about um, Hispanic countries that have the siesta, right, it's because they have this big meal at noontime and, and rest after that. Yeah. So um, the word su- – so dinner used to be the word for the main meal. And now as uh, the main meal has shifted to evening time, so did dinner. Oh, so, okay. Dinner comes from the French word dîner, to dine. Okay. And supper comes from the French word soupe. To sup, so to have a um, a lighter meal like a soup, right? Where it wouldn't be like a full several courses. So what's interesting is in France, the three meals are called di déjeuner, déjeuner, dîner. So they have their dinner later. But other francophone countries like Canada, Belgium, etc., mm. have déjeuner, dîner, soupe, because déjeuner means to break the fast. And so they keep that first. Whereas in France, déjeuner is what breaks your fast. And then in the morning, you just have a tea déjeuner, a, a little break fast. Um, you know, uh, as uh, Patsy Stone would say, nicotine macchiato. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, because so in French, I'm just trying to break it down. So in French, um, 
so the word for lunch is a kind of breakfast in in a way. Right. But then right. what they have for breakfast is they call it the little breakfast. Correct. You have the little breakfast and then you have the breakfast because you're breaking your fast. And yep. then they have like dinner, which is dinner. like several courses, the formal the big, thing. big meal. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. Interesting. So when you were growing up, what did you have? Did I was you about have to ask you the same thing. Um, we'd say supper. I did too. We had supper as well. Uh, and we grew up in very different places. I grew up in New York City mm. and you grew up in Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, I mean, we're, we're the same generation. I wonder if it's a generational thing. Um, but we certainly as Americans don't have that stringent hierarchy thing that we all kind of live within about right. class. And it's interesting how dinner or tea or supper is, is a, is a thing. And like in the North of, Eng- of, of England, they say, uh, tea. And yeah. I've heard people in the South of England judge people who say things like tea instead like of dinner tea and, you instead know, of dinner. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting in this scene, you see Captain Peacock, um, at the end of it, kind of slip, and he calls it his tea his instead dinner. of his, or his yeah. dinner instead of his lunch. And he just like just this is why this show is so funny. Just like Mrs. Slocum slips and shows her true colors of being kind of lower middle class, being from the north, whatever. He slips and calls it his his uh, his dinner. Yeah. And I and also Brahms promptly reminds him lunch lunch because he scolded her right yeah. so if i also heard that the working class of the north called their dinner tea because they were often the serving class of like the estate class like the people who mm. have the downtown abbeys and all that stuff so they have their big meal before the upstairs had their dinner because they didn't have time to it because they're working during the dinner right you know so there's a lot that of weird sense. history to this that's a really good explanation. I, I've never heard why, uh, why the 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 evening meal is some kind sometimes called tea, and that makes perfect sense because I'll have it at tea time. Yeah, and when yeah. when the um, yeah everything everything if you think of Downton Abbey, everything revolves around the rich family, so everyone has to like move the way they eat around some crazy around serving the family. Yeah, yeah craziness. So Mrs. Slocum is complaining about the entire state of the canteen. They've got plastic cutlery. Well, when I first started here, we had <laughs> tablecloths and real EPNS. Um, this went over like a lead balloon with the audience. Crickets, not a single laugh. Because I don't think anybody <laughs> knew what EPNS stood for, because I certainly did. I, I was waiting for you to explain it to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it stands for electroplated nickel silver. And the joke here is that it's EPNS is not real. It's not real silver. It's like saying a genuine imitation rabbit coat. <laughs> right? So okay. it's cutlery that's made of, a, of an alloy of copper, nickel, and zinc. So there's no silver to be found whatsoever. But you would have to know what, what an acronym means to get the joke. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. Uh, she also follows with a string of malaprops in this entire episode, right? She references uh, Richard Attenborough running around in shorts telling you how the world began. But she really means his brother David Attenborough. Yeah. Right? Um, 
it all started as a thick soup with little orgasms crawling about. <laughs> I remember being so young listening to this or watching the show and hearing the word orgasms and thinking like, oh, that's a naughty word. That's very yep. bad. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. Uh. Mrs. Slocum's gone to play, complain. Mr. Humphrey's gone to complain. They next nominate Captain Peacock, who says that there's a much more effective way to get through. <laughs> and he picks up his plastic cutlery and starts banging on the table. Why are we waiting? Right, and they all join in on the Mr. song. Mr. Jeff is singing on the podcast in this episode, the Anatomy. <laughs> and they all join in on the song. Um, the manageress comes out, and everyone cottons on that she's there, except for Mr. Goldberg. And he switches to, oh, come let us adore her, right? Because the song has the same uh, tune as, oh, come all ye faithful. Yeah, so, it's kind of yeah. cute. Eh. So, uh, Dormy Vernon makes an appearance, Yay. not in a Christmas special, as Diana Yarborough, the canteen manageress. And she's had it with this lot, right? They are notorious for complaining all the time. And especially today, she's not taking any of it. And for some reason, we're obsessed with this person. Like, we don't really know why. We both acknowledge we're obsessed. She's like the mascot of the show somehow. We go to see her during every episode when we go to the canteen. Because her entire purpose as a character is to raise conflict. And, of course, gay men and, love that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and that is the source of com- of, of a sitcom. Yeah. It's, it's conflict and how that gets resolved, right? Yeah. And so she's complaining that she's short too staffed and she's got a poisoned finger. And she lifts up her finger that's all wrapped in plaster and bandages. And we get a great little aside from Mr. Humphreys, which you do very often on the show. I'll cancel my toad in the hole, right? Because <laughs> he doesn't want her cooking, right? Because that's uh, how you make a the hole in the toad as you poke your finger in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Captain Peacock tells her off and says, your emotional outburst suggests that your mental balance is disturbed. You should see a doctor. Oh, shit. And she, and she retorts, well, you should see a doctor. He goes, I have no reason to see a doctor. Well, I'll give you one. And she stamps on his foot. <gasps> and this is where uh, Captain Peacock calls her a cow and says, if I'd had my dinner, then I would have thrown it in her face. <laughs> where... Mrs. Mrs. Brahms. Lunch. Lunch. Yeah. So funny. So cut cut to Mr. Rumble's office, and they're trying to explain. And, of course, he, you know, we get the the, the, the rumble where he, he can't yeah. understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and then the canteen staff come in, right? So we've got... Um, I love how we don't even try. We're just like, and he doesn't understand. And, and moving understand. on. It's just like... And, you know... Uh, Miss Brahms makes a, a threat that, you know, she'll have her, uh, that manager, she, she'll have her goose cooked. And Mr. Humphreys You'll regret saying that. that, saying that right? <laughs> and he did. <laughs> and he, and she did, right? So the canteen staff come into Mr. Rumble's office because they want to complain as well. So we've got the canteen manageress. We've got Senior Baroli, who is the Italian chef. He's played by Ronnie Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, he comes back in season 10 in the nightclub as a cinema customer. He was also, he was hmm. part of the uh, um, Lloyd and Croft troupe and made oh, okay. the rounds on Dad's Army and Heidi High and Carry On, right? Cool. We've got a young Henry, Henry the Apprentice who is played by Keith Jane. Not a single word I wonder what the story episode. was like. They didn't need to have that guy on the show. Was he like some kid's, like some guy's kid or something? Right. Probably needed to get his like uh, equity card or whatever the equivalent uh, yeah. is. Are they right? Interesting. And then we've got Mabel on vegetables and Fleur on fish who are uncredited and they also don't say anything, right? Um, so we got the entire staff and then that's when the canteen manageress goes around and insults the entire <laughs> ladies and gentlemen's department. <laughs> 
Yeah. Mr. Lucas is all lip and let's have a look at your knockers. Which confused, confused me, right? Because she's quoting him. Right. But the way she says it, uh, it, didn't, it, it's, it's, it doesn't come across as clear that she's quoting Lucas. So that always confused me. Is that, um, I guess I'm the only one. I don't know. Yeah. All lip and let's have a look at your knockers. I yeah, because that's what that's what he says. And I that's was a little, or, or what or what he always implies, right? Yeah. Um, Captain Peacock is snooty, all mouth and trousers. Oh, which, the height of insults, right? Uh, Miss Brahms is just dead common, <laughs> uh, which everyone kind accurate. of agrees. Mister <laughs> <laughs> um, Goldberg is a pompous old snob. Poor Mister um, Goldberg. Mrs. Slocum has a permanent smell under her nose. And Molly Sugden does the best facial mugging on this yes. acting. You know, I don't know what she's talking about. And then like, she, she's like, yeah, her she eyes has, are rolling in the back <laughs> of her head. And she kind of like pointing her nose up. Yes, right. it's so fabulous. And <laughs> she tells Mr. Rumble to shut up jug ears. Shut up and jug that, ears. And it's so cute because at this point, Rumble is sort of tolerating it all. You know, he's, he's trying like, to be diplomatic. No, no, no. Everyone, we're all a bit overstimulated. Let's all just calm down. And then she says, shut up, Joggies. And then that's when he gets angry because it only right. affects him at that point. That's right, right. Typical. Typical of men. So we get some uh, parting words from Signor Baroli where he blows a raspberry, gives us the two-finger salute, and says, Rizzles. <gasps> right. I, I'm surprised they didn't bleep it. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Humphreys came out completely unscathed, which is unusual. Which is for unusual him. for me, isn't it, yeah. Mr. Lucas? Because he usually it gets is. into one scathe or so every every so often. So this is, is a little insight into like fourteen year old Brandon. Um, Tell me something would happen, and then I would not be scathed, and I would say, "Well, I came out unscathed, didn't I?" And I was fourteen years old. <laughs> saying and you're things. looking for someone else to pick up the joke, yeah, and no one else did. Who? What? What? Fourteen-year-old Arkansan gay boy says, "And I came out unscathed, didn't I?" On the playground or whatever it was. Oh boy. <sighs> so. They're, they're, the the gentlemen's and ladies department, they're they're really tired of having to put up with that kind of um, abuse from the canteen mm, yeah. staff. And Miss Brahms proclaims, we can run that canteen better than what they does do. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that don't sound th- right, do it? It certainly don't, Miss Brahms. <laughs> so this reminds me a little bit of um, the last episode we did, The Hero, where um, in Mr. Rumble's office... He volunteers Captain Peacock to go fight the boxer guy. And something similar happens here. It's Miss, I guess it's Miss Brahms who says, we could do better than what they does or whatever, <laughs> however she says it. Right. So there's this weird, like, duplication of a plot thing in this episode. Yeah, that's true. Young Mr. Grace calls down to Mr. Rumble and says, the canteen staff have walked out, so you've got to figure out what to do. Have your staff fill in since they've already said that they could do a better job of yeah, it. Yeah, so. so there's there's a lot of drama going on in Grace Brothers. Why don't we head on down to the canteen for a tea break and check out how they're doing? Let's do it. I hear there's a sale on uh, some curry and some korma, <laughs> so I'm going to see if those are, are delicious, and we'll be right back. 
Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. So, Mr. Brand, did you take advantage of Mrs. Slocum's Indian chicken korma special? I did, I did, and I was just having a little bit of uh, mukwas. This is where you ask me what mukwas is. <laughs> uh, I was cu- trying to come up with a funny quip, like, well, that's your business, or uh, something like that. <laughs> um, I went to school with her sister. <laughs> what is mukwas? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's a colorful Indian Pakistani after-meal snack or digestive aid, widely used as a mouth freshener, especially after meals. Containing various seeds, nuts, and fennel, anise, coconut, coriander, or sesame. Oh, is that that little bowl of lemon water next to the dish? No. <laughs> you can see how often Mr. Jeff has any food. No, when you go to an Indian restaurant, um, Brick Lane in London or anywhere in the world, um, a lot of times you'll have this little bowl of, like, it looks like nuts and like sugar-coated fennel seeds and little seeds and stuff. But it's kind of like a minty, yummy thing at the end of your meal. Like a palate cleanser? Yeah, it's delicious. So where were we? So the staff, it's the end of the selling day, and the staff uh, t- look um, head on down to the canteen to take <laughs> the state of it, to see how it is and get the lay of the land and figure out where all of the equipment is and the food is. And it's in a disgusting state, right? The canteen staff just walked out. They didn't bother to clean up. There is food everywhere, right? Oh, there's my toad in the hole, <laughs> um, <laughs> Mr. Humphrey says. Mr. Lucas says it looks like the Mary Celeste. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know what that was either as a kid. I think I just figured it, it was like a boat, and it turns out it is. Um, Captain Briggs abandoned a boat uh, coming from New York to London in 1872, and this was the shipwreck that was found near the Azores, and none of his crew were ever found. You know, now that you said that, I think we've mentioned that on the show before. Huh. And sometimes they do kind of recycle jokes. I wonder if, like... No, never. <laughs> my pussy. If I'm not home by the stroke of eight. Um, interesting. I wonder if there was, like, maybe um, a popular TV show in Britain at the time where they were, like, the adventures of the Mary Celeste or oh, something. Oh, maybe, yeah. Well, it would yeah. be known in, uh, in common in parlance. In popular anyway. parlance, yes. Yeah. Um, so the staff are going around and... and detailing what kind of cooking experience they have because in essence they're really auditioning to be head chef because of course captain peacock has elected himself boss well someone has to take charge and he's looking for who's going to be the the head chef right so um mr lucas can boil a tin of baked beans so that's not very sophisticated no uh miss brahms can uh put together some garlic sausage and onions for bubble and squeak 
from our favorite TV, um, favorite film, uh, Beautiful Thing. Yep. They make bubble and squeak in that as well. Should we also mention that baked beans uh, is like the lowest common denominator food in Britain? Do people know that? I think that our fan base would know that. I think they, they have an understanding about baked beans on toast. It's like a grilled cheese, I think. We have grilled cheese. They have beans on toast. Yeah. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, uh, Miss Brahms can also make Uzuki Musaki because once upon a time she had a Greek boyfriend who fancied a local dish. So she learned how to make this eggy meaty thing on a stick. Um, I don't think this is a real thing. I think that the the, um, the the writers just made it up, right? Because I think it's a play on the word moussaka, which is that kind of Greek version of shepherd's Delicious. pie. Um, mm. So I think they just made something Greek sounding. They must have had some leftover words from... Um, do you take this man? That they oh, the bazo- well, the bazooki, azuki. Right. You know, it was the uzo that proposed, and now the bottle is drunk. <laughs> uh, now the Mr. bottle is empty. Now the bottle is empty. Right. Uh, Mr. Goldberg can make toffee, but it's a shame that he can't eat it because of his teeth. And Mr. Humphreys gives one of his typical menus, uh, but of course he makes something fancy if if if, if uh, he's got guests coming around, right? Yeah. So he starts with oysters Rockefeller, which are, they're broiled uh, when topped with butter, parsley, and breadcrumbs. Easy. Just a, a little right, snack. Right. Just yeah. right. Uh, quail in aspic. Do you know um, what aspic is? It's the, the, basically the jelly from uh, pectin that comes from the bones of the, of the uh, animal. Yeah, it's gelatin. I mean, it, yeah. jello. I mean, don't ever Google what jello is made out of, people. But it's, it's this weird thing from like the 1800s where you would take food like a quail and put it in gelatin that's not flavored with watermelon or cherry right but it's this horrible i mean for 21st 20th century 21st century taste it just sounds so gross yeah right um deviled lobster so so he takes the lobster meat and then devils it like pureeing it with mayonnaise and mustard like you do with deviled eggs um with mange too this is one of those instances where the brits use a french sounding word when a perfectly simple english word already exists right we call like them aubergine. right we call them snow peas but for some reason they have to call them mange too because you you eat the skin you eat everything you eat you know as opposed to the peas in mange a pod that you sell eat all right what's another funny thing like um oh what's my favorite french okay what's my favorite british word that's french that sounds ridiculously fancy, but it's really nasty. Is it a food or is it a part of a building? Uh, you could say it is a building itself. Oh, right. So that's the word that sounds <laughs> like it is um, where the bishop lives, but it's actually like the horse stables. Well, you're getting closer. <laughs> <laughs> the word is... Here, I'll do it like um, that, that game show. The word is abattoir. That's it. Abattoir. <laughs> abattoir means what, Mr. Jeff? Doesn't it mean the horse stables? A slaughterhouse. Oh, slaughterhouse. <laughs> Gosh, slaughterhouse sounds rather crude, does it not? What do they call it in France? Abattoir. Ah, that's what we'll call it. Abattoir. <laughs> right. Good Lord. But yeah, I mean, we got all these all these foods: aubergine instead of eggplant, courgette instead of zucchini. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I find zucchini's Italian, but still, um, 
what's another one? What's another uh, one where they use a pompous French word? I don't know, but we talked a lot about how Captain Peacock loves to throw in French because, you know, it's yeah, just a façon de parler. <laughs> Something to say. <laughs> And then for, for dinner, uh, for dessert, Mr. Humphreys will make either a baked Alaska or a meringue glace. So, and that's just something simple, right? But they all, they all uh, say that that's too complicated. They're never going to be able to, to do that. They yeah. remember also how peculiar he was at the takeover when he was cooking his, um, his oh, meals. Yes. So that they decide to give Mrs. Slocum the job of head cook because she just does simple cooking to her own taste. Simple cooking to my own taste. And if there are any leftovers, my pussy gobbles them up in a flash. Okay, how does that work on your flow chart there again? In terms of uh, the timing of the pussy joke? Oh, yes. It was relevant. It's new. It's a new context. Um, okay. uh, four stars. Yeah. Okay. So, I have to jump in. Now, tell me, please, Jeffrey, that you know the show Dinner Ladies. I've seen an episode of it before when it was on, like, ye- um, the Yesterday Channel in the UK. If you can hear the, al- the uh, sirens in the background, I'm being actively chased <laughs> uh, from the police as I record. Um, but this whole episode reminds me a lot of the Dinner Ladies, and... I would say if you have BritBox, oh, God, I hope it's on BritBox. I forgot to check. But Brit, uh, Dinner Ladies um, was a TV show from 1998 to uh, 2000s. It only has 16 episodes. It's not uh, a lot of content. And there's a really cool um, actress and producer and director and writer named Victoria Wood. And it was sort of her vehicle to become, like, a really big celebrity in the UK. And it's about... Dinner ladies. So, of course, remember dinner um, is sort of like the working lunch. class. Right. It's it's like a – we call them lunch ladies, but they in the north of England call them dinner ladies. So th- the show is a sitcom about women working in a cafeteria for like – A corporate uh, uh, cafeteria, yeah. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, a school, but it's um, very much this thing. So when I see this episode – or when I when I first started watching Dinner Ladies – I thought, oh, it's like that episode of Are You Being Served where they all like go. And you, you hear the people, they come in, and it's, it's really cute. And Victoria Wood, she died in uh, 2016 of cancer, I think. She was only 62, and she would have been like the biggest star in Britain. Um, but yeah, so if you've not heard of Dinner Ladies, you should. You should know who Victoria Wood was. She got um, a CBE award from the Queen. She's really cool. So... Um, if there's a Dinner Ladies podcast out there, that would be cool. I, I hate to break it to you, but Dinner Ladies is not available on BritBox, <gasps> and it's not um, on any of the things that I stream. But I'm sure if you look hard enough, you might be able to find it. Yeah, but it's it's really good stuff, and um, it's I, it's it feels Are You Being Servy to me. It's, it does, because from the visual that I remember from like the one or two episodes that I watched, I feel like the setup of the Grace Brothers Kitchen is very similar yeah. To the setup of um, the, the the set of dinner ladies, so yeah. And if you know Anne Reed, who is a fabulous um, longtime British actress who's been popular for decades, she's playing most famously in uh, Tank- Last Tango in Halifax, which is on Netflix, which is fabulous. Also, a really cool show called Years and Years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that yep. what it's called? Yep. Yeah, I mean, you've seen Anne Reed. She's she's all over the place. Um, Camilla Emery, who was. Um, Bing, 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 and Bing from yep. uh, Absolutely Fabulous. She's in it. So a lot of cool people worked on that show. Yeah. 
So the staff need to do the washing up. You know, they better um, muck in before they muck out. And <laughs> yeah. so Mr. Humphreys is going to wash and Mr. Silkham is going to dry, but there's only one pair of gloves between them. What so, to do, Mr. Jeff? So Captain Peacock has to give a ruling and does a motion study on how they'll be able to keep their hands dry <laughs> while still doing, right? Um, so they start thinking about what they're going to serve on the menu, Right. And so um, they think about having grapefruit for a starter or doing a soup. Uh, it's re- you know, relatively easy. And then here's a joke that um, is common in a lot of entertainment. And it took me a long time to get, right, um, where uh, Mr. Humphries is explaining how his mother makes soup, just like uh, takes all the bits from the, from the refrigerator, puts them in a bot, and lets it boil, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Mr. Lucas says, you know, did it work? And in terms of, like, did the recipe, did it taste good? And Mr. Humphrey goes, no, but the soup did, right? Um, and there's, I don't, yeah, I don't get that today even. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, of jokes about the soup working, right, specifically oh, working. Okay. And it, it's because, you know, if you put a lot of vegetables in it, it's good for your digestive system. It's going to be fibrous. Oh. And it's going to do a certain trick, right? So it's very similar to, like, a prune juice joke that we'd have in the States. Right. Fran Fine, Fran Drescher on The Nanny, was very uh, fond of prune jokes. That's true. Uh, and also, <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> there's that episode of The Golden Girls where um, their neighbor, um, Mrs. Claxton, doesn't want, uh, wants, the, uh, wants to cut the tree down and pave over with cement. And Rose tries to ply her with an apple Danish and a cheese Danish. And finally, the prune Danish worked. Right? And we got the, that, yeah. that joke as well. Right? We should be sponsored by the Metamucil people. <laughs> and then Mrs. Sluko, I think she gives one of her best absurdist line ever, right? That she does, <laughs> she turns down making pate because she's not insured for tripping over gristle. <laughs> Which is very absurd, thinking that there's a line in an insurance policy. This does not cover triple tripping, tripping over, over gristle. gristle, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And then we see your favorite bit where Miss Humphrey sees a frog on the floor and he jumps into Mrs. Slocum's arms. Right. So I, I thought I remembered him jumping into Captain Peacock, but no, he jumped into Mrs. Slocum's arms. And you can yeah. see when you watch it, he's really pushing up on the side of that table with his arm to like basically take all of the weight off of her. Right. But oh my God! So, so the fact that she doesn't even flinch and he jumps right up is so cool. That's a good choreography there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then Mr. Goldberg starts riveting at the frog to try and coax him away from <laughs> the so uh, hole. It's so cute. And then the frog goes, like, what kind of frog sound is, I mean, it sounds like German or something spoken in Switzerland. I don't know. Maybe that's the Swiss word for, um, or the German or French word for, for frog in Switzerland. I don't know. Well, the frog is going to make a return appearance, so you know, hold on to that thought, right? <laughs> uh, back yeah. to the back to the menu. They all of a sudden realize that they don't even know what's in the larder, so they they shouldn't be making a menu until they look in the larder. And uh, Mr. Lucas reveals there's one whole pig, one whole sheep, and one hole in the wall with a frog looking out of it. Oh, he yeah, has a family. So, Mr. Brandon, what's a larder? Um. I assume it's like a walk-in refrigerator, but that's probably a rather modern convention of it. 
Yeah, so it's it's a stone, it's a room made of stone that mm-hmm. is on an exterior wall, and that's where they used to keep food cool before modern refrigeration, right? Because mm-hmm. for most of the year in Britain, it doesn't get very warm. So if you have a cold room that's made of marble and stone um, that's going to be on an outside wall that's not insulated, you're going to keep your food around 40 degrees, you know, which is what most refrigerators would be at. Uh, and so that's how they would keep um, food fresh before refrigeration. Yeah, when I was in San Francisco, um, an apartment I lived in, this was built, it was like built in the 20s. So this is before people had like refrigerators. And of course, San Francisco is very British in a way with the we- with its weather. You know, it's very chilly. I, ne- got- I never put those two together, but you're right. Yes, foggy and like the coldest summer. No, the coldest winter I've ever spent was summer in San Francisco. Uh, is the old <laughs> saying. Um, but yeah, so this apartment didn't have a refrigerator originally when it was built. And it was right in the heart of San Francisco. And um, it had this little like door. And you had to kind of bend down and open this weird door that went into the wall. And there was a little space for you to put like butter and your milk and your meat because it was naturally cold enough and it was touching the exterior. So now that I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing it was sort of like a mini larder. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Probably. There we go. So we cut to the next day and Mrs. Slocum is in a French maid's outfit and she's serving. So she offers... She's serving a lot, let me tell you. (laughs) Uh, She offers Mr. Harmon either the meringue glacé or crepe Suzette for dessert and he wants both. And he remarks that lunch was great. It was the best curry he's ever had since he was at Wolverhampton. Thank you to Mm -hmm. our sponsors at the Mrs. Slocum's Indian Chicken Corman Company. So the joke here is that Wolverhampton is a city in the Midlands, and it's got a very sizable Sikh population. Oh. The, the, one of the lift girls says the shish kebab was just like you get in a Greek restaurant, right? So they're all very, very... <laughs> um, yes, very co- good. Co- they're all very complimentary of the work that uh, the ladies and gents staff has done, and they all take the compliments in stride. Yeah, it's um, cute. I love how, like, awkward those actors were, like, all waiting around with saying Mr. Saying their one Harmon. line, right? Yes, quite good. And what did you say? Um, I forgot what the other one says, but it was just like... I want the recipe. Yeah, what, what's the recipe? Today, though, that whole scene would not be there, because it's just like, you can't pay the people. If you, if you say a word, you have to be paid. Right. I, I imagine the laws are different in 1979 in the UK. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then um, then uh, we see one of the members who we have to assume is from the accounts department, uh, yeah. who's played by Mohammed Shamsi, who I think this was his only acting role ever. Um, he also says that it was the best curry he's ever had since Wolverhampton, right? And he's sitting at a different table than Mr. Harmon. So that's like where we, you know, the, the joke is played in. But the yeah. whole idea is that he's of South Asian extraction his family Mm. should make it better or make it more authentically yeah and it's kind of cute that as an american we're like what is wolverhampton is that like a type of animal like what is this (laughs) so if you don't know what this the the, all of this weird context that just doesn't make sense which is why you listen to the podcast that's right (laughs) mr rumbold comes on down and he orders in advance for young mr grace who will have the turtle soup in the executive dining room right so yeah. I guess they put that wall back up in between the canteen and the executive <laughs> yes. dining room. 
Um, and so Mrs. Slocum is serving it, and the frog has found its way into the soup. Oh, and we gosh. see her trying to, like, don't drink the whole thing because you need to save room for your main meal. It's very hot, you know, trying to dissuade him from everything. And she, like, stumbles back into the, the canteen and, like, is holding her stomach like she's queasy. Um, and then we see Mr. Grace eating the soup with the frog perching out and ribbiting. And, and then he, and he starts to cough. He starts to <laughs> cough. And and he does a really good job about miming, I've got a frog in my throat. Like, you know, he changes, he modulates his voice. Like, yeah, he, yeah, is, yeah. he does something stuck in there, right? So the entire <laughs> st- the entire canteen is complimenting them. They've done a really good job. So at the end of the, the, dinner, the lunch service, they're um, recounting all the compliments they got. And like, so what was our final take? So they made 98 pounds on the day. Which is a fortune. Which so is, much Which is a then. lot, right? Um, so then they say, well, what were the outgoing expenses? And Mr. Lucas pulls out receipts. Chinese takeaway, 15 pounds. Indian takeaway, 30 <laughs> to 50. Da, da, da. The joke being, they didn't cook any of it. They just ordered it up, had it delivered, and replated it, right? Yeah, yeah. Possibly reheated it. Um, so Mr. Goldberg does the math, and they had a net loss of 8 pounds 45. Well... Either he or the writers made an error because if you do the math, it's actually eight seventy-five. I've done the research, Kim. You do the maths. Um, we we know you've done the research, Mister Jeff. Right? Uh, yes. So, <laughs> so the the staff all chipped in to buy all the takeaways, and they spent the equivalent of seven hundred dollars today on takeaways, which means that they, if they split it up equally, they each had to put in the equivalent of a hundred and sixteen dollars. That's oh a God. lot of money to put up front for your pride, right? To, like, basically uphold the reputation of the department. And considering the fact that they lost money, and if they keep doing it, they're going to lose money every day, then um, they've got to give an apology so the regular staff will, will come back, right? The wonderful thing about this is, what happened to the department? Like, who's manning the, who, the shop? Right, no who's manning the shop? Right? <laughs> I guess the, 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 well, they may have had to just do, like, an extended break. Like, they only, you know, they sold you know, one pair of socks in the morning <clears throat> and then came down to start to prepare for the lunch rush, right? Yes, Mr. Jeff, but you forget that we have the magical fairy dust from the episode with That's true. Mr. Grace's birthday. So it That's makes all true. things possible. So Captain Peacock starts writing the letter. We humbly apologize for complaining about the food, the service, the hygiene. And, and that cow of a manageress. There you go. <laughs> and there is our episode. Yeah. What do you think, Mr. Brandon? Well, you know, again, I go back to the dinner ladies thing. So I love in the second half of the scene with the, with the canteen, you see there's like a, I think they zoom in on the loudspeaker. Oh, there's playing, that little, like, like one-minute interlude of yeah. everyone eating to, to music, right? It's a little strange because, again, modern TV, they would not even have that whole section. they just edit all out. And they had more time for, for content because there's no commercials and all that stuff um, like, they, like there is today. But there's something about that listening to music and seeing people sitting down and enjoying their food, which reminded me of Dinner Ladies because I think that was kind of a part of that TV show, too. Um, you know, you're a much more traveled person in the UK than I am, but I've gone to a couple of, um, canteens and restaurants in like Debenhams. Um, I forgot the high street department stores, but like there'd be a restaurant and that's where you'd go for your lunch. And it, I remember when I was a kid, there used to be places in Memphis and Arkansas where you would go and have lunch in the department store. Um, but it seems to be a British thing that 
that's still around. You don't see that here well, in it's the States. Also, it's also a very European thing to have your company pay for your lunch, right? Either Yeah, through, we talked about that before. Yeah, either through like a, a, a TK restaurant or having a, a canteen on site. Um, I, I think, you know, I think that the storytellers needed to show the passage of time from mealtime to after when mm, the, yeah. the staff were, were, were looking through the, the daily take and the receipts. But Nicholas Smith felt so awkward eating on camera because you could see him. He looks at the camera several times. Because he's kind of like, am I doing this right? <laughs> Is um, this how you eat on camera? Because <laughs> it was a pretty awkward scene because, like, that music probably wasn't piped live. So they yeah. had no, they, they had no idea how it would sound or what the shots would look like. So they just had to like pretend to eat for probably a good three minutes so they could capture something to cut into this little bit to mark the passage of time. Mm. Yeah, it's a sweet episode. Um, probably not my favorite of season seven, but you know you get to hear the rabbit, the rabbit, the the ribbit of the frog. Yeah, which is cute. Um, yeah, I like a scene. I like a, a scene from the show where they're not on the floor. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that this is this is definitely up there for me, not only in season seven but in the entire series, because I, I think I like this episode for the same reason that you like um, the one where they go to the toy department, right? Because not only are they not on the floor, but they're playing make believe. They're playing dress up. Yeah, right? yeah. They're yeah. playing restaurant, and I think that as as a kid, I think that kind of appealed to me. You know, the idea of them getting to do this make-believe thing, but with real food in a real kitchen, you know? And what's cool is that, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, this this episode really does expose the rigid, rigidity of um, the class structure in the UK, at least since 1979. You know, there's so many examples of you know, especially Slocum and Peacock, who are the people who are most concerned about this, I think. Um, you know, I live in a semi-detached house, and I call this dinner and lunch and blah, blah, blah. I'm really struck at the point where Mrs. Slocum comes back, and she's speaking to Harmon and the people, and, well, you know, oh, lovely Greek food. What, what is the recipe? And then she kind of turns very upper middle class, and, you know, right. she's, she's a professional woman. She's a professional oh, cook now, right? It's just the way you just have to know how to do it. And then she <laughs> thank you. And she kind of glides past. Right. And then she, she's back into, you know, the working class kitchen. Three shishis and a kebab or whatever and she a shouts. And a tendari. Uh, Three shishis and a tendari. It's, it's amazing how, like, whoa, the contrast. And I, I think that die, contrast yeah. of Mrs. Slocum and especially when Captain Peacock will snap and, like, turn cockney or whatever. It's right. so cool because we don't have that in, in the States. You know, it's like a perfect little cultural time capsule that we that's kind of on display that we get to watch yeah i think another reason why this is such a good episode in, in my book is we alluded to earlier the idea of um conflict and resolution being the key to any kind of comedy yeah 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 and we get conflict a lot in in the series and it's usually between members of staff right between the senior and mrs slocum or between mrs slocum and oh, Captain Peacock. yeah you're right yeah. but this is one of those examples where the team, the entire staff banded together. Everyone's there, on the same page. There was no internal conflict. It was yeah. the entire department against someone else. 
against the manager S. Against basically. the manager, caliber manager S. <laughs> and and we got to see that um, in, when they had to band together in um, the club when they were redecorating mm-hmm, the club mm-hmm, downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got to see it when they were um, uh, banding together whenever they had to do. Um, one of their skits, like when they're, they have to perform and do or a rehearsal. Any, they love right. to sing and dance. I kind of had this idea, my, my hot take of the episode. Should I make that a segment? Brandon's hot take. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the better ending. It's so easy to imagine. Add like one more minute of, 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 of footage to the episode. Okay. They deliver the, the letter to the manageress and the staff. And they, they come down and like... We have something to say to you. This is Captain Peacock. We've written an apology letter here. And he's like angry giving it to them. And she reads and she's like, all right, I guess we'll start. And then like Mrs. Slocum like hands her like a nasty apron and says, good, because we left you the washing up. And then that's oh, the end of it. Oh, right? that, would, that would be a really good ending. I'm just saying if, you, if Hollywood wants to come calling, you know, contact the podcast and we'll connect it to me. So uh, I think that's about it, huh? Yeah. What are we going to do next week, Mr. Brandon? Well, we're going to do um, The Agent. Um, that's the one where Mr. Goldberg helps everyone get new jobs. And this was very confusing to me as a child. So it's really? good to look at it with fresh eyes. Yeah, just employment agencies and uh, what okay. is a job, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of cool. So, Mr. Jeff, if people want to tell us how fabulous we are and how good-looking and lovely our voices sound, how would they do that? So you can get in touch with us either on Facebook or on Twitter. You can write us an old-fashioned email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail.com. Or you can call the Peacock Hotline at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. And you can always record a voice memo and email it to us. Yes, and thank you, for everyone, for reaching out. And we love your voicemails and emails and everything else. And with that, Mr. Jeff, you've all done very well. Bye. Bye, you animals. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are you being served as a copyrighted program of the BBC? Takeaway meals may contain common allergens such as dairy, eggs, wheat, soybeans, peanuts, and fish.